Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on what looks to be just a gorgeous weekend up here. I'm looking out the window of my studio in Fort Collins. And it's going to be, I think, uh, close to 50 up and down the front range the next two days. But we had some cold weather. We made some ice. There are ice fishing opportunities on the front range. These couple days shouldn't really put a dent in that uh, opportunity because the ice is pretty solid. And we're going to have some more cold weather later in the week. So we're going to talk quite a bit of ice fishing. We're going to take you around the state. We're going to talk some open water fishing in the second hour with Chad Lachance. And then Chad's going to take some time and talk to us about how to cook frozen fish. You know, we all have a few of those in the freezer. And he's got to go. He always has some great recipes. And at 930 today, uh, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Dan Prenslow, is going to join us. And we're not only going to talk about the state of parks and wildlife, but I think he's going to give us an update on a couple of issues like the... uh, the mountain lion hunting bill and uh, talk a little bit about the wolf issue. So he's going to join us at nine thirty. So you want to tune in for that. Let's go to the phones and joining us from the far end of the state, the far Southwest down by blue Mesa is Andy Cochran. Good morning, Andy. Uh, good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great. What's the weather like over in your part of the state today? Uh, it's beautiful looking outside, but 13 below currently. Well, that makes for good ice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we love to use our shelters and heaters on this lake out here, but it is building ice quickly, which is exactly what we want. What is the status of Blue Mesa as far as the ice right now? So we're just a little over a week now of having 100% coverage on the lake of ice. So the whole thing's frozen. Um, There's still a few soft spots to watch out for on the far west end of the lake. Um, But for the most part, there's been anglers in the last couple of days that have ventured out on the new ice and are reporting up to five inches already. So it looks like pretty much the whole lake is wide open, good to go for ice fishing. Now, Blue Mesa is a big lake. Are you allowed to use snowmobiles or ATVs on the lake? Yes, they do have a weight limit. Um, So your four-seater side-by-sides might be as big of a piece of equipment that is allowed on the lake, but they are. Um, We did get a few inches of good snow last week, so there's good traction now on the whole lake surface for using snowmobiles or there's not enough snow where you're going to get four-wheelers stuck either. So right now, you're good to go to use both. Let's um, Before we get into the fishing, which can be so phenomenal there, and you have so many species, uh, everybody's concerned. You know, a lot of water was released out of Blue Mesa to help bring the water levels up in Lake Powell. What's the status of the water right now, and what do you expect uh, you know, I, we don't know what the snowpack's going to be, but what do you expect as you get towards spring? Sure, good question. Um, after the downstream release was complete, they basically shut the dam down and have no further water calls expected until next fall at the earliest. They've 
done some new water stuff this year, so there's not going to be a concern of losing any more water to any of that stuff. Um, so with that being said, we've actually gained about six feet of water back since they shut the dam down this fall. We're sitting about 84 feet low, and the BOR did just release their first forecast for the water year this year, and it looks like uh, we're going to go from a 28% water pool, which we're at now, up to about 64% on this earliest forecast. So we're going to gain quite a bit of water back, almost filling the lake to two-thirds by the 1st of July, kind of after all the runoff has happened. So it's looking like we're going to get a lot of water back, so this summer should be pretty good. And even even at the level it's at right now, Blue Mesa is still a big body of water, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge lake, and we've talked about this a little bit, too, where, you know, people were concerned about fish congregation and stuff like that. Well, uh, we've mentioned numbers like if the lake's at 100% capacity, there's definitely not fish in 100% of the lake. And so even though we're down to 28% of what the volume of water is, uh, 100% of the fish are still in the lake, but they're still very spread out. And so what it, what's actually helped is it seems like there's even more really good habitat available now. There's some really deep, deep flats that normally don't hold a lot of fish, and we can't really fish them efficiently, but now we can. So there's a lot of really good new structure now, which we've started to see with the fishing, too. So how is the fishing? What do you see in there? Start with the lake trout. What do you see? And that's always everybody thinks about the giant 50-pound lake trout that come out of there. But you have a diversity of size. And they've tried to control the population a little bit. How's the fishing right now with the lake trout? Yeah, a few different points to touch on there. Of course, lake trout's the biggest draw, especially in the winter, because it allows anglers to access every point of the lake without a boat. So you can get out and fish every structure you want to. And so what we've seen so far this winter, uh, the pup population, um, in talking to the biologists this week, the pup population now has gotten to a point where they're really happy with it. So the overall lake trout numbers are in a really, really good position. What the whole management strategy here has been is to control the population of those real small fish which helps increase the large fish numbers and their health without all that extra competition too. So, and it's really, we're really starting to see that. We saw it last spring all the way through the lake trout season last year. And now as we go into ice season, we've seen a definitely a bump up in the numbers of over 32 inch lake trout, which is a trophy in anybody's mind. Um, there's been several dozen lake trout caught in the three foot range so far this winter. So a lot of fish in that 12 to 20 pound range. And I say a lot, there's probably been 50 that we know of, which is, um, in my mind, that's a great number. That's world-class lake trout fishing. And this lake's really starting to come back into its own on that front. Well, you know, there's always the chance for the big lake trout of Blue Mesa, and you do have to approach them a little different. I'll get to that in a minute. But right now, 
when you're talking about the pup like trout, is there still good action? And those are the best eaters. And do people tend to keep, they still want people to keep some of those for the pan, don't they? Yeah, correct. The message remains the same. The anglers through these tournaments that they've held the last couple of years have really helped control that population of fish and and done such a good job that they've decided to not do the tournament for this year. But the message still remains the same where we really want people to actively fish for those fish and keep them and use them as much as they can. They're one of the best eating fish out of the lake as well, as you mentioned. And the action is still really good for them. Uh, Most everybody is targeting them through the ice in like the 50 to 70 foot range. That's typically where those pup lake trout like to winter. And they are typically in pretty large groups, big wolf packs. They're constantly kind of moving over structure. So if you sit down on a spot and catch a couple, chances are really good. You can just stay there and usually catch up to 20 or 30 a day. It's been really, really good fishing for those as well. And what size are those typically? So typically on the smaller end, at least what we're seeing now is like all the way down to maybe a 14-inch lake trout, but most of them are going to average between 18 and 22 inches. That's just a nice eating fish. Their lake trout, when they get bigger, get fatty. And if you do catch a, a giant one, I think you'll agree with this. We'd like to see you photograph it, get it back in the water, and it'll grow and be a trophy for somebody else and maybe produce that another 50 pound plus state record. Before we run out of time, let's touch on a couple of the other species. What are the rainbows and uh, the browns doing there? Uh, Brown trout fishing remains good. This lake has always been a great brown trout fishery and um, the biologist has done a really good job supplementing some extra small rainbow stockings throughout the years to kind of help supplement those browns and the health of the brown trout's probably better than it's been in six or seven years now. Uh, typically fishing for those things, 25 to 40 feet of water is kind of the magic zone for brown trout throughout the winter. Um, typically fishing lures that are on the bottom. Uh, plastics typically are the best thing, tube jigs, twister tails, that kind of stuff. Uh, want to target those fish typically on points or offshore rock piles are kind of the top two target spots. And rainbow trout, too, have been caught throughout the entire water column from deep to shallow. They seem to be covering nearly the entire lake from one side to the other, from deep to shallow. They're very aggressive, and we're starting to see some really good size come through with those. Um, We talked earlier in the week when Tightline was here for their tournament a couple weeks ago the vast majority of fish that were caught were rainbow trout and several of the people that placed in the top 30 caught rainbows that were weighing between a pound and three quarters up to like two and a quarter. So that's a really good average lake trout or rainbow trout size. So really on all fronts, blue mesas, I mean, all, all arrows are pointing up. Everything is fishing really, really well overall condition of the fish is really, really good. Uh, we met with the biologist a little bit this week 
and went over some of the gill lice stuff that's been a concern on the lake, and we're starting to see large groups of rainbows out on the lake that are totally gill lice free. And even the kokanee salmon are starting to show some resistance to it now, where the spawn this fall, they saw a lot less gill lice present on each individual fish. They still had it, but the prevalence rate per fish was way down from the year before and the year before. So there's another really positive sign for the future there. How is the kokanee fishing right now? Uh, It's typically fairly sporadic in the winter. Um, We haven't really been seeing guys get on them consistently. They're always present. So you just got to be mindful when you're fishing, watching for schools to move through. They haven't really settled into an area at all this winter yet. Guys will catch some at Elk Creek over the deep channel one day, and then they're gone. So it's they're not too settled in yet. You can certainly catch them when they move through. Typically, 20 to 30 feet deep is where you'll see these schools moving around in the winter, and there's a lot of them in the lake. It's just opportunity when it presents itself. You just got to be ready, but they've been a little bit hard to target so far. So if people want more information to book a trip with one of your guides, Andy, how do they get a hold of you guys? Yeah, we're at gsofishing.com. And if you follow our social media platforms at gsofishing on Facebook or Instagram, we we do a pretty, a pretty big ice report. We try to review every base in the lake, go over pressure ridges and snow coverage. We try to cover all the stuff on those platforms. And we try to post that stuff every Thursday. So if you follow us along on that, uh, we'll try to keep everybody in the loop on what's happening with the ice here. And that's GSO Fishing? Yes, sir. Just Google GSO Fishing. It will come up. Andy, we got to run, but thank you for joining us. Great information. And Blue Mesa is such a treasure. What a fishery. I know it's a bit of a drive, but it's such an opportunity. People need to get out there. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet, Andy from GSO Fishing. I tell you what, the, those guys know their stuff on that lake. And that lake, I mean, at any moment, you could 50 pound plus is the state record lake trout that came out of there. And there's numbers and numbers of trophy fish, plus the action on the rainbows, browns, and the smaller lake trout. It's just a great opportunity. We're going to take a time out. When we come back. We're going to take you to another ice fishing destination and an upcoming tournament right here close to the Front Range on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They are uh, just locations up and down the front range. If you're listening to us talk ice fishing and you want to get into it or you're into it and you need some gear, stop by a Jack store near you. They'll take care of you. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from 11 Mile and Spinney Mountain Reservoirs, um, we have Michaela Barrett. Good morning, Michaela. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. It is a sunny, beautiful day up here in the northern front range. What's it like around the park down there today? It is just about the same. We're actually really nice and sunny, clear skies, um, very warm out today. I think we're hitting about right in 30 degrees, so pretty warm. You know, that's a great thing about Colorado. We're going to talk some ice fishing here in a minute, but the fact is that it gets cold at night. We get enough cold days to form good 
Well, I never say safe ice. I say no ice is safe, but if you use common sense, ice fishing can be very safe. But we, we, we get these opportunities where you can actually go out. In northern Minnesota where I grew up, or my wife says I just got older there, I never grew up, but you get 20, 30 below sometimes these days, and it wasn't very pleasant out ice fishing. In Colorado, we get so many days where there's good ice, it's fish, the fish are biting, and yet you almost need a light jacket because of the because of the uh, the sun shining. Sounds like you got a friend back there. Yeah, it's uh, actually my coworker's a uh, furry friend, so <laughs> not mine. That's all right. We love dogs. Yes, I it, do. It can be just so beautiful out sometimes like that, can't it? It can, yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous out here today. Um, I think that's what's been bringing a lot of people is the thick ice and the nice weather. Let's before we even get into it, let's talk a little bit about the parks. There's two parks there. Why don't you tell people where they're located, and and, and we'll talk a little bit about the amenities. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're kind of out here. Um, actually, the geographical center of the state is right in the middle of Spinney Reservoir, um, but we're about 11 miles, actually 11 miles southwest-ish of Lake George, and then Spinney Mountain is just about a couple miles up the road from 11 miles. So um, we're kind of right here in the middle. Uh, we offer a lot of camps, camping opportunities. We have 325 campsites here. Um, some of them do have electrical, so we keep those open in the winter. Um, Spinney is actually closed during the winter due to the fluctuation of the water levels. makes the ice a little unsafe, um, so we keep that, and it opens up in the... Um, Back up in the summer for boating season and fishing season, right when the ice comes off. So, yeah, Spinney and Eleven Mile, even though they're close, are really two different lakes, both on the South Platte. But Spinney's uh, kind of a more fertile lake. It's managed as a trophy trout lake, and it has trophy uh, northern pike in it that are just huge. And it's day use, if I'm not mistaken. And there's a little more limitations, but it's a fantastic fishery. And I would say 11 miles more of a general purpose lake, although the fishing is phenomenal. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. So over at Spinney, when it's open, it's artificial flies and lures only. Um, and you can keep one fish uh, trout, I should say, uh, that is 20 inches or larger. Um, we do have massive pike in there. That is a um, unlimited take. Um, over at Spinney. But yeah, Spinney is actually one of our uh, gold medal lakes here in Colorado. Um, so it provides very big fish. Um, people love it. And it's the people that go there are kind of diehards for it. Um, we have huge lines that line up on the first day of opening. And yeah, we love it. So, well, you know, Spinney, I, w- I want to get onto 11 Mile and the fishing and the tournament you have coming up. But Spinney Mountains opener is kind of the nearest thing in Colorado because our seasons don't close. In Minnesota, you have this huge, in the middle of May, they have the fishing opener where the, a lot of the species are close to fishing. And everybody goes out, no matter what the weather is, no matter what the fishing is, the governor goes out. And there's pent-up demand. And Spinney is kind of a microcosm of that where these people want to get out. The lake hasn't been fished. The fish haven't been molested. So in the spring, you really do get that anticipation. And it quite often doesn't disappoint. Let's talk a little bit about 11 Mile. I know you got the tournament coming up. We'll get to that. But first of all, how's the ice on 11 Mile? Um, the ice is pretty good. I, like you said earlier, we never say that it's safe. Um, it's definitely at, at your own risk. But right now we're looking at about 12 to 16 inches. Um, we have a little bit more weaker spots around the rocks and around the pressure ridges. Um, those rocks hold heat. And actually we had a four-wheeler 
kind of fall through the other weekend. Um, everybody was safely, thank goodness. But, yeah, it's something to definitely be cautious about when out on the ice. So. Now, talking about four-wheelers, you just allow those by permit for special applications. Is that right? Correct. Um, so we, the way we do that, so four-wheelers, snowmobiles, um, whatever you need to get out there, we do it through a disabled permits system. So if you provide a uh, proof of a disability, our office will give you that permit. Um, once you have that permit, you just have to call 24 hours prior to going out on the ice. That way we can let our staff know. Um, and then they can take that out on the ice. Currently, we actually have our boat ramps closed um, because of that four-wheeler falling through the ice. We decided to um, just keep that closed for safety purposes. And do you anticipate that, I don't think, again, if we get a good cold stretch? Um, it just kind of depends. We keep monitoring the ice and seeing where it stands. Um, but it's definitely a possibility. But it's also, like we've been talking about, our nice warm weather um, hasn't really been great for ice conditions. So it could, that can kind of determine things as well. How is the fishing there this year? Um, so far, it's been pretty good. Uh Everybody that comes off the lake seems to be extremely happy. Um, a lot of people are actually limiting out here. And um, according to our fishing report, we have, like, the trout fishing has been pretty good. Kokanee has been good. Uh, but the pike fishing has been causing, there's been some issues there. Not as not as great as the others. <laughs> well, pike fishing usually doesn't pick up till more towards spring again anyway. Yep. but. There's a lot of trout, it sounds like, and a lot of coke, a lot of kokanee. That's a great sign that, you know, after the struggles we've gone through. And 11 Mile can not only have numbers of fish, but it can have some pretty big trout, too, can't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you've got a tournament coming up, and it's the, is it February 5th or 6th? I'm sorry, I, I don't no, you're fine. Um, it's going to be February 5th. Um, it's the South Park Ice Masters. Um, so, uh, yeah, we have that coming up. It's going to be trout only. Uh, it's based off of the two heaviest trout that people bring in. Um, the first place winner has an opportunity to walk away with about $5,000. Um, it's put on by our marina. 20% um, of the field actually gets cash prizes, meaning 20% of those who register, or the teams that register, will end up walking away with something in their hand. Um, but they give out tons of other prizes. Even um, They even have a auger that they're giving away as well. Um, and then they actually donate a portion of the proceeds to Fishing Has No Boundaries as well. Which is a great, great cause. So how do I register? Do I register online? Do I register there? And what are the hours of the tournament? Um, so they're actually so you can do both. You can register online, um, and then so the hours of the tournament you just have to. So the Friday before you can do um, an early check in, I believe, or maybe nope. So that was actually for the last one for the Ice Masters. The check in begins at four a.m. in the morning, um, and then their weigh in typically starts at two. Um, and I know that they're pretty strict with their weigh in. If you come in past two, uh, you will not, your weigh-in will not count, so. And then if I want more information, what's the best place for me to go find out online? Um, so if you actually go to our marina's website, it's 11milesports.com. Um, you can go there and they have uh, little links that will take you to it right at the top. Um, they have it right there on their main page and you can just click on it where it says register um, and go from there. And then, we, like I said, you can also go in person. Um, they have a brochure that you can fill out and 
um, register through the the marina itself. All right. Well, it sounds great. The fishing is good. What a great time to have a tournament. You've got pretty good ice across the lake. You've got a few spots to watch for, but the fishing is great, and it's a trout-only tournament, and it's one day, February 5th, so people go to 11milesports.com. Check it out. Michaela, thank you for joining us. Sounds like you had a lot going on there. Yeah, absolutely. It's been busy. It's been great, and thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Come and keep us updated. Thank you. Sounds great. All right, that's Michaela Barrett from 11 Mile and Spinney. Great fisheries. 11 Mile's not that bad of a drive out of uh, Colorado Springs. If you're looking for a place, you might want to head out there. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, Dan Prenzel, is going to join us. And we're going to spend some time talking about the state of parks and wildlife and a few issues that have been buzzing in the public. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is the director, Dan Predenflow. Good morning, Dan. Do we have... Good morning. Are you there? Yeah. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. We had a little difficulty there, but we are hooked up. Great to have you on. Director Prenzlow, you, uh, you're coming up on about three years, I think, of since you took over the reins of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and we're coming up on the 125th anniversary, so it's probably been just smooth sailing. Nothing's gone on. Nothing unusual has happened, and you've been able to just kind of rock back in an easy chair. Is that right? Yeah, it was a, it was quite a move on my part for uh, you know boring times between uh, all the things going on and and uh, COVID and and yeah real real retirement plan I had so uh, but I'm still at it and I think you're correct I'm uh, a few months from now <clears throat> might hit my third year I think uh, two years have been somewhat of a lockdown two and a half years but not totally locked down. We're glad to talk about that. We're, we're still open for business and our front desks are open and our wildlife areas are open and our parks have been open. So we're pretty proud about that. Yeah. You know, and the record number of people using the resources has been incredible. Uh, you've come on, you know, I think just about the time you came on or just prior to it, we're going through that transition where new ways of funding were we're being passed by the legislature. Has that funding actually kicked in yet or yet, or is that still being implemented? Great question, Terry. Uh, a couple of different strings, but the main one that uh, for, for uh, the sportsmen and women was a future generations act. And that, that has taken effect. Um, there was a, a and I suppose people could debate that, but it was a real modest uh, fee increase for uh, residents, and then there was a CPI, a, c- a consumer price index, uh, attached to that. That was a big change, but the really, really big change uh, was the uh, preference point and the uh, you you must buy a license prior, not after the fact, to to get into the draw. And that actually really was a 
uh, a game changer. There was a, there was some frustration. Most of the residents have already do that, but a lot of non-residents <clears throat> would uh, apply for licenses, but not buy a license, you know, until they drew a license. And so that really fundamentally changed uh, our funding on the wildlife side. And right now, last year, we passed a bill in the legislature that we're still working on uh, this year called Keep Colorado Wild, which will really fundamentally change how we fund operations on state parks. It won't, it'll fund a little bit on the wildlife side, but it really is uh, uh, more of the operational on, on parks. So we're actually made a lot of headway um, on sustainable funding for, for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And, and uh, my staff has worked very, very hard on that. We appreciate our help uh, in the legislature and uh, we'll continue to work on how we implement that. Well, I, you know, and you alluded to the fact that with COVID, um, we saw just an, I don't know if you can say a rush of people going into the outdoors. That sounds like an oxymoron, but we, we had people who they couldn't go to a movie or a baseball game or youth sports. They couldn't travel or go to dinner. So they all started, they go, they went hiking, they went fishing, they went hunting, they went walking, they went camping. I used to joke and say, I've spent my whole life trying to get people outdoors I just didn't know they'd all go on the same weekend. How is that? How has that balanced with, you know, trying to increase revenues? Colorado Parks and Wildlife was operating, you know, on a, a short budget to start with. That's why the new funding procedures are being put in place. But then all of a sudden you had all these people. Now, some of them brought in more revenue, but they also stretched resources. How did that balance work out? Well, that's a, again, great question. We're still working on that balance. Um, I don't have hard statistics, but it's. I know it's. Uh, I'm, I'm very close. We're uh, uh, up like 40 percent uh, over the last uh, two years because of what I'd call that COVID bump on the park side and recreation on the wildlife side. We're up about 15 or 20 percent across the board on on hunting and angling. Uh, but some just striking statistics. I think we were like added a hundred thousand anglers, uh, in the last year or two. Um, uh, well over a hundred thousand applicants in the big game draw, which really, we really didn't see, uh, foresee coming, especially when we charged up front to, to get into that system. Um, and, uh, that continued to grow. And I, it really is a result of people just wanting to get outside and, and they don't have a lot of alternatives and they rediscover the outdoors. You are correct. Um, a lot of the things we've done kind of opened and facilitated that, you know, online hunter education, um, you know, having our, our, uh, the ability to get licenses online and, and not have to stand in line, you know, buy them over the phone, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, uh realistically that, um, you know, the, COVID uh, just got got people thinking to be outside, and so as far as the balance, we're again we're still working on that. We'll we'll have some of our state parks will actually have to close on weekends or not close, but uh, limit just because we've hit a occupational limit. And so uh, one of our state parks, we're actually have talked about busing people in or started that, and we're talking about a reservation system just. Uh, uh, but we're adding some state parks. We can talk about that later, another episode. So we're we're trying to work on capacity, um, and uh, a little harder on on the wildlife side. It's harder to grow, you know, some wildlife uh, uh, at all, and or you know quickly. And uh, you look at access. We did, 
improve or opened up about 200 to 300,000 acres of additional access, 500,000 acres with the state land board in the last two and a half years. So uh, we're combating that with uh, different opportunities for our um, sportsmen and women and our recreationists. Right. Um, Director Fresno, while we've got some time left, I am getting a lot of questions about a couple issues. One is there's a bill in the legislature to uh, eliminate the hunting of big cats like mountain lions. Um, has Parks and Wildlife been asked to provide statistics? And if you have or if you haven't, do you have the ability to provide the science to these people so we can make good decisions on that? Uh, good question, Terry. We've not uh, so we've not taken official stand. That must come from uh, from the governor's office and through the Department of Natural Resources. And that's you know, that was frustrating for. Uh, uh, people out there, but so we've not we've not gotten the okay to weigh in um, on whether we're neutral for or against uh, that bill. We are always able to provide information on what's going on uh, as far as the science and the reality of what's on the ground, um, and so we're providing that not only to decision makers in the legislature, but uh, to the public or newspapers or. Uh, media people that do call. And so, you know, we are doing that. I'll just kind of rattle off a little bit of information. So again, we're not, you know, if people have a, uh, an opinion, they'll need to address that on their own. But um, um, Colorado's, you know, the bill is about mountain lion, bobcat, and lynx. Uh, of course, there is no hunting of lynx. Uh, we restored lynx in the 1999, uh, and we do have a stable population of lynx, but there is no hunting season or trapping season at all on lynx. So we do have a, a very stable mountain lion population, about uh, you know 4,000 uh, independent adults, uh, so it'd be six to 7,000 minimum uh, total population with young and yearling. Um, and we've, we've been managing uh, uh, lions as big game since 1965 and prior to that they were considered predators and were you had the ability to shoot them you know on site or damage and so we stopped that in 1965 so we have a very stable to increasing uh, mountain lion population and of course we also have a, a, a very stable to increasing bobcat population so they're they're not in any danger of uh, uh, extirpation whatsoever uh, they're uh, very solid for uh, uh, population. Now, you have, a, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand, you have quite a group of research scientists that help you with this information at Parks and Wildlife, don't you? Yeah, uh, that we do. I think Garda Parks and Wildlife, we're, um, you know, the agency itself is probably 950 people permanently, and but about 350 or 400 <laughs> Of those are biologists uh, through education, in, including me, uh, uh, wildlife biology degree. But we also have a very robust uh, research section that's uh, mostly based out in Fort Collins. We have five different sections of that. We have aquatic research staff, and I won't list them, Terry, but we have 11 uh, research biologists, uh, and they're all um, masters, PhD, of course, bachelors. Um, you know, from from uh, research scientists or data scientists. So there are 11 of them in just the aquatic section. All PhDs, again, avian research, birds, we have seven. Again, all PhDs and avian researchers and spatial ecologists. 
uh, in our mammals research section, we have six, um, again, all PhDs and uh, all science, and one's a leader, and then the rest are uh, uh, science researchers. We also have a wildlife health uh, um, section that uh, is either PhDs or their uh, veterinary medicine. Uh, there's six of them, you know, field uh, field. Uh, veterinarians, uh, pathologists, epidemiologists, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We also have a human dimensions section. There's only one person in that, but um, Mike Cortucci, he's a human dimension specialist. He's also a PhD. So I didn't count those up, but that's probably, I don't know, 30, 30 or 35 uh, PhDs in that research section that are continually working or really on the tip of the spear on, on wildlife, wildlife populations, uh, disease, Etc. Everything that affects wildlife, so we can provide, you know, data again to the Parks and Wildlife Commission and uh, and the public uh, and ourselves, our staff. Uh, that research informs management decisions that we'll we'll make to to manage populations. So I will put in a plug um, in uh, just kind of not off the top of my head, but since the establishment is we started out, we're we're celebrating our 125th anniversary this year uh, of an agency so colorado parks and wildlife have been around for 125 years and so we'll be celebrating that year round this year but uh since the uh, creation of colorado parks and wildlife there has not been a single wildlife species extirpated from colorado and we of course we're following the north american model of wildlife management and applying ever-evolving science-based management to accomplish that but i want to reiterate that not since since we were created 125 years ago and i can't take credit for that good good people before me and there'll be good people after me and all our staff is really doing the jobs not me but uh, not one species has been extirpated well i have a quick question we're really out of time but i'm going to steal a couple minutes ty if you're listening if we have to run right to the top with the break we'll make it work or i can come back for a short after the break but with all the ability to all the research at your uh fingertips with the people two issues have really been i've been questioned a lot about the lion bill and then the wolf program are you guys doing work to find out and the lion bill in specific i'll ask right now how that will affect like the elk population the deer population and maybe even cattle is that have you guys been looking into that uh, we are. We're actually in the process of hiring a, a what I call a wolf researcher, somebody that'll concentrate on wolves. And we already have natural migrating wolves, and we're, as you know, we're working on that plan uh, since one uh, Proposition One Fourteen passed, and we'll be bringing uh, additional wolves in by law in twenty twenty three. But yes, we are looking at that. And uh, there's, I'm not sure that we'll be looking at statistics of of livestock but we will be creating a program and paying for livestock damage uh for wolves we already paid if if you don't know for lion and bear damage if it's a commercial uh livestock and so we've started that since 1965 because we manage a for a stable population so yeah lots of not only science but lots of policy uh um discussions um, not floating around but being worked on 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 uh, uh, wolves and like i said then you have this uh, you know lion bill that's currently getting discussed at the legislature in that lion bill is there any concern that an increased population of lions could be detrimental to our elk and deer 
Uh, yeah, there's no question. Um, I don't have any statistics on that, but lions eat deer, deer and elk and uh, llamas and, <laughs> you know, occasional donkey and occasional dog, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, they, they'll absolutely impact them, and they impact populations now. But, you know, as of now, we manage those for a stable population, and they are, and look at we have several studies of where lions may or may not be impacting us. Uh, uh, specific areas and that's is part of our research program so we can uh, alter the management of of lions or anything out on the landscape so it's in balance uh, with its prey and predator and the natural environment and i would also say with human health and safety uh of uh, everybody in colorado which we take very seriously and of course your biggest tool for that is hunting Director Prenzel, we are out of time. Thank you so much, but I do need to get you back on soon. We just touched on so many things that I know people want to know more about. Thank you for your time today. You bet, Terry, and uh, welcome, and and thanks for all your listeners, and thanks for uh, being part of uh, the wonderful outdoors of Colorado. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll take a quick time out, folks. We'll take a quick time out, folks. When we get back, we'll close out the first hour, but we got lots more to come on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We have a couple minutes left before the top of the hour, and Nate Zielinski will join us. And I want to touch on a couple points that I didn't want to. The director was kind enough to come on and talk about what's going on with some of these issues. And I didn't want to back him to a corner, but I can give you my opinion. I know he's he's not allowed. They're, they're, they need to remain neutral on these things, but... Let's take the wild, the the big cat bill that's in the Colorado legislature right now. Those people um, who are pushing this forward, they're everything I've been able to learn. They're animal activists. When everybody's entitled to the right to have their beliefs, but they're not stakeholders in the outdoors. They don't contribute to the American model of funding or preserving our wildlife with the, the sportsman's dollars that has been so successful. And if they're successful in getting big cats protected in Colorado, uh, we're going to start paying more money, just like we're going to with the wolves, where we're going to see an impact on livestock and a lot of money for resources that normally would go into hunting, fishing, managing, even uh, in threatened species or non-game species, birds. Some, it's not an infinite pool of money. Some of that money is going to end up paying for the damage of the big predators if we don't control them with hunting. There's going to be some anyway, but it's going to get worse. Also, not not allowing the hunting of mountain lions. We've been able to control them with hunting since the 60s and have a stable population that pushes about 6,000 mountain lions. Now, you don't see them, but they're out there. Without hunting, without some control, we don't know what that number would be and what would happen to our deer and elk populations in this state. You have to get a hold of your representative in Colorado's uh, either representative or state senator and talk to them about this bill. Fortunately, most of the sponsors have withdrawn since we brought this issue up a week or two ago, and I think only one remains, so it looks like it may not get out of committee, but let's not take a chance. This is not the right bill for Colorado at this time. I usually don't take political stance, but we need to stop, and need this. it needs to be more studied, and if then hunting shouldn't be allowed, then we'll get to that point, but let's do it based on science, not emotion. All right.
We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. Nate Zelinsky is going to join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan.